United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Good day. My name is Nelson Strobert, and my guest today on the Seminary Explores is Dr. David Grafton, who is the academic dean and professor of Islamic studies and Christian-Muslim relations at Hartford Seminary in Hartford, Connecticut. Welcome to the Seminary Explorers, David. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, the reason for this conversation is uh, I was excited and delighted when I saw the publication of uh, your newest edited book, More Than a Cup of Coffee and Tea and uh, a generation of Lutheran-Muslim relations. So, um, so that will be the focus of our conversation um, in general, but I'd like to start off by saying, what was the reason for this book at this time, at this period? Yeah, thank you. So um, the book actually originated um, because I was reflecting on, um, about two years ago, I was reflecting on the fact that um, this year was not only the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and all that that brought into our world, but it was also um, the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of um, the publication or at least the release of a document by the former American Lutheran Church. And it's um, in uh putting forward uh, what Mark Thompson called a focus on Islam. Oh. And, and I thought, oh, what better way to kind of think about together as Lutherans, the trajectory, at least as American Lutherans, the trajectory that we've had um, uh, in our thinking about Islam as another religious tradition our um, our relationships uh, with Muslims, and um, where we've where we've come from, where we are, and where we might go in the future. Oh, that's large in scope. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and who was the uh, who was the target audience for for this volume? Yeah, I I wanted to um, put something together that would be of interest to either um, not only Lutheran uh, clergy and members of Lutheran congregations, but also uh, North American Christians who are actively engaged in their churches mm -hmm. and who have an interest in uh, Lutheran-Muslim relationships, or at least they're not quite sure <laughs> what what about Lutheran-Muslim or uh, Christian-Muslim relationships. So I, I really wanted to put something together that would that was not just a an academic um, exploration of the history, right? But but was um, the voices of a variety of Lutherans who have experienced. Uh, both positive and and challenging uh, relationships in very different contexts, and what that has meant for um, our life together, uh, both as as Lutherans and as as people of faith, um, Muslims mm. and Christians. Yeah. 
Right. And, and, and I think that's what um, I found interesting, that this global perspective that the book takes. Uh, and I think that was exciting for me to read. Yeah, it was. And I was delighted to that some of the contributors were able able to participate. Um, but it was difficult at the same time because there was there was a there were a lot of stories that were left out. I mean, there were a lot of other contexts and places that that we we as Lutherans have been involved in right. around the world that could have been included in here. So maybe maybe that's a second volume that needs to come out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I look forward to it. Um, um, where did the book title come from? Oh, yeah, that's that's a great thing about this. Um, like, like I said, you know, I, I didn't want this to be an just a strictly academic book. Right. And so, so when I started putting things together, I had, you know, kind of the classic title with a scent with a colon and then a long <laughs> subtitle. I thought that no one's going to want to read that. So I just thought, okay, we'll just leave this as a placeholder, mm-hmm. you know, Lutheran Muslim relationships. And somebody will write something in, in their contributions that will, that will jump out. Okay. And, and sure enough, <laughs> lo and behold, um, Pastor Jane Buckley Farley, who's who's the pastor at at Trinity Lutheran uh, in, in Minneapolis, or at least um, uh, in Riverside, Cedar Riverside, um, in her attribution, she just has this lovely phraseology about mm-hmm. about the the relationships that that began at her congregation and in her community between her congregation and the predominantly Somali American uh, Muslim community right starting up starting up uh, a project or relationships that would lead to more than a cup of coffee and tea uh-huh. and and I just I love that and I thought oh there's so much to that um, because uh, you know tea having tea and coffee with people is is so important in many cultures yes and and sharing that together is just is important but it's it's not the end it's the beginning of of conversations and relationships exactly so so i was i was just delighted that um she wrote that and i asked her i said you know can we can i put that on the cover because that's just great and she thankfully she agreed oh yeah oh yeah good title good title and uh for, and for beginning conversation too yeah um, yeah as i uh perused uh, skimmed the uh, the book um yeah i i noticed that the first part of the book um there are essays articles on the historical and taking a historical perspective on the the lutheran muslim relations um, could you identify some of those um, important uh, uh, documents that help us to understand this relationship? Yeah, I wanted to begin um, the book by kind of laying the groundwork for for many of those people who might not actually recognize how long um, we've been at this. Um, and the the article by the opening article by Mark Swanson, who's at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, right? Um, really lays. Uh, he did a wonderful job of laying out the beginning of this Lutheran thinking, American Lutheran thinking about a focus on Islam um, that was uh, put forward by the American Lutheran Church and Mark Thompson, and 
he notes in there very well how back then um, we just started thinking about what is the relationship between uh, Christianity and Islam and, and Mark himself, Mark Thompson and Mark Swanson were both both missionaries in Muslim majority countries. Right. To, to think about what does it mean to be not only um, a missionary, but to be engaged in friendships and relationships. And so Mark lays out very clearly how we started thinking through this. And then he, he critiques that by saying, you know, at the very beginning of this whole process, um, there was some really deep thinking about Lutheran theology and Lutheran thinking about Islam, but it was done in a context in which there were no Muslims to do that with. We, no, ah. no Muslims were invited to that conversation. And, and so now, and so that goes then by the end of the book, you know, here are Lutherans engaged with Muslims all over the place, right. you know, so they're, they're engaged directly with Muslims. Mm -hmm. And, and I wanted to get, kind of that perspective of when we started, perhaps with the best of intentions, it was very, very limited. And now there are all kinds of opportunities that um, uh, uh, Lutherans have to engage with their Muslim neighbors and friends over matters of faith. Right. And, and to conclude that, I was, I was grateful um, that Dr. Saeed, um, who's a good friend of, of the ELCA, um, was willing to read through it, critique it, and provide a forward to, so that we had a, a Muslim voice that could respond to to all of this. Um, so I say that by by introduction of laying out this book historically mm -hmm. to provide to provide readers with you know where did we start this, uh, how did it get into the ELCA, and then the second part of the book is all about. The particular experiences of of Lutherans around the world. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, <clears throat> um, uh, how, uh, but for what reason or reasons um, have Lutheran Muslim relations been important in its life in in the life of the church? Do you think? Well. Um, Throughout the world, they've been vitally important, primarily because um, Lutherans uh, have been former Lutheran missionaries were living in Muslim-majority countries and um, were living in cultures in which they were guests um, and were deeply affected by uh, Muslim relationships uh, there. Right. And now, um, we, you know, the Lutherans from whatever congregation, whether it's um, St. Paul in Dearborn, Michigan, or uh, Lutherans in, in Iowa, in right. Iowa City, um, don't have to go overseas, right? I mean, right. Muslims are now uh, uh, fellow citizens, they're co-workers, friends, neighbors, uh, relatives. Um, they live in our communities, they work with us. And so... Um, I wanted to underline that, um, that it is a part of the way we live now. We cannot do ministry anywhere in the world, mm -hmm. especially, especially in the United States right now, without being aware of or sensitive to 
uh, or in some cases working with um, Muslim communities um, because they're um, in, in many cases we will find opportunities to work with them. Mm-hmm. In other cases, we will find uh, opportunities to dialogue with them and learn about them and from them. And in other cases, we'll have the opportunity to actually receive gifts from them, uh, whether that's um, in in kind or um, or just from learning from them. How do you see this growing out of the Lutheran theological tradition? Um, so what is it that uh, motivates our church to, to, that, to that involvement? We've always had um, a very good perspective theologically on serving the neighbor. And um, I think that Luther's call um, to be... Um, serve be to be freed mm-hmm. to be servants of all is really really important in this regard okay um that's that's been a basis for us the most recent document that the elca um uh, voted on on the, the commitments to interreligious um relationships right uh, really does provide a balance between um that great commission to uh, go out and preach the gospel, and also the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, And so I think uh, in this case, at least for my vocation, uh, it just seems that God keeps putting me in places where uh, there are Muslims and Muslim communities to engage and to to enjoy um, and to to befriend, um, that that's, that's one of our opportunities. And most certainly, um, after 9-11, um, when Islamophobia uh, became so prominent and has become so prominent uh, and has undertaken a resurgence of late, um, you know, not bearing false witness against our neighbor, our Muslim neighbors. And Luther, um, in his explanation to the, to the Eighth Commandment, you know, talks right. so well about not only don't do this, but what should you do? You should speak, speak well, well of them. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think now um, that is so critical um, when there has been a, a resurgence once again uh, in Islamophobia and al- also anti-Semitism and other things. But but right. at least for me and for my work, it's I've focused on um, Muslims, Muslim right. Christian relations. Right. And, and we, as you said, we hear a lot about Islamophobia, anti-Islam, uh, uh, particularly since uh, 9-11. You know, that, um, but, um, uh, but, but how was that, exp- wasn't that expressed before, um, do you think? Oh, certainly. There's, there's always been, there's always been Islamophobia. And, and, and to be clear, I think um, Islamophobia is a, a term that's used regularly, but it has to do with not only um, fearing or, um, uh, or being um, against uh, Muslims, but it also has an active part to it. It, it is um, prohibiting Muslims from participating in society. Um, doing things that that um, sideline them or keep them out of the public square by virtue of their faith tradition, 
um, or their their cultural tradition, which intersects. Right. So so Islamophobia is not only um, a particular attitude that people have or or feelings that people have, but it's it's actions that that result from that. Much much like racism, right? Um, and institutional racism. So that that's it's important to understand. Um, but certainly Islamophobia has been around a long time. Nine uh, eleven exacerbated it. Yes. Um, I, I, it's interesting when I've looked at um, the interest that Americans have taken in Islam. You know, their their curiosity about Islam or uh, wanting to learn more about Islam in in the modern period, in the more recent period. Those have correlated with particular dates and events, the first being 1979 uh, and the Iranian revolution and the hostage situation. Oh, yes. And then the next was 1993, which was the first World Trade Center bombing. And, the, and then the next was 2001, the, um, obviously 9-11. It's those, those dates in which you see books being published and Americans being interested in Islam only at those moments when there's these crises. So th- those crises uh, have a context and, and people begin reading about it when, when they, they are afraid or worried or concerned right. or want to, to find out more about what caused these things. Uh, it, and, and I start out the book um, by saying, you know, my experience was after 9-11, everybody wanted to know, why do they hate us? You know, that was the common question. Yes, yes. Why, why do these people hate us? Um, and forgetting that there were all other kinds of experiences with Muslims and Islam, with Christians uh, mm-hmm. before that. But it nobody took notice. Right, right. <laughs> Unfortunately. Right, right you know. indeed. Um, uh, I well, I'm going to just uh, ask the question um, and not qualify it. But how do you think, or do you think that churches have contributed to this um, Islamophobia um, in in the past or, or even present day? Oh yeah, I mean, number one, you know, our congregations um, mirror our our society, and certainly now, um, you know. I, I'm not serving in a parish right now full time because I'm teaching at the seminary, but I know um, from doing pulpit supply regularly that you know our congregations are as as divided and split as as your average um, community. Right. And so, you you we've always had um, perspectives of Islam within the congregation that have been. Um, founded on stereotypes or fears right. or or perspectives of um uh, general generalities so yes. I, I, i'll give you an example um there i went to visit a congregation one time to to talk about the possibility of their engaging with a, a local muslim community and to start that process and when i arrived there was this this gentleman who just as I walked in the door, he, he threw a piece of paper at me with, and he says, what do you think of this? And, and I pulled it out and it was, you know, it was a, an email that he had received from a, a source um, about uh, Muslims and Sharia law wanting to take over the United States. 
and, and I said, well, let me, you know, let me look at this. And uh, yeah, this is an issue I hear about all the time. I said, I said, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about this in, in the session. And so the, the gentleman listened to the session, my presentation, and then he was like one of the first people who responded to the Q and A and, and he raised his hand and he just blurted out and said, you know, they are not, they're not interested in being friends. They don't want to be friendly. And I said, well, can you explain what, who are they first of all? You right. know? <laughs> and he, he said, well, I was at a, I was at a conference and there was, I got on, I was on the elevator and the elevator door opened and there was this Muslim woman. And I said, well, how do you know she was a Muslim woman? Well, she was wearing that thing on her head. I said, okay, so maybe, I don't know, maybe she was of another religious tradition. I don't know. I wasn't there. But in any case, uh, and he said, yes. And I invited her onto the elevator and she refused. Oh. And I said, I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, what, you know, I, I can't explain why she didn't want to get on the elevator. And, and then the gentleman's spouse who was standing next to him turned to him and said, honey, you're six foot two. You're a big guy. You were on the elevator by yourself. I wouldn't want to get on the elevator with you. Right. Right. right? And he, and he looked at her, you know, kind of puzzled. And, and I, I thought, well, this is a good example of, you know, who knows exactly why she didn't get on the elevator, probably because she was a bit scared yeah. about getting on the elevator with, with a, by herself with an unknown man, you know? Right. So these are the kinds of things that, at least when I speak with congregations, there's all kinds of opportunities to kind of help people think through their assumptions and perceptions of others, and in this case, especially Muslims. Right. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, you're giving a presentation at a congregation. Um, are there other suggestions that you might offer to congregations desiring to better understand the Muslim world? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you so much. I, you know, the best thing is just to get people together over a holiday celebration to mm. invite invite people, uh, a congregation or a local group, to uh, to uh, a potluck. Right. Right. Um, uh, you're having your potluck, and you invite people to share, and they share their their traditional meals. Um, for Muslims, it's easy because every year during Ramadan, they have what's called iftars, which is a breaking of the fast. Ah. And Muslims love to invite people to their iftars. Ah, okay. So it's just a great opportunity for a pastor or someone who has a relative that's Muslim, you know, to, to um, arrange for the congregation to be invited to an iftar. Um, it's just a, a an amazing experience. People will, and, and they'll eat a lot, <laughs> eat a lot of, eat a lot of good food. And that's, that's just the best way right. uh, to, to learn about somebody else's is through their food. <laughs> oh, okay. That's very true. Very yeah. true. Uh, yeah. uh, that's, that's very helpful. That's very helpful. Um, uh, and, um, as an academic, I know that you have lots of books and, and you've, uh, read lots of books in your field, and uh, I think there are people in our listening audience who might be interested in the, uh, to read uh, some, some uh, basic texts 
um, about uh, the Muslim world or or Lutheran or Christian Muslim relationships. And uh, do you have any suggestions for them? Yeah, the first thing I would say is in the back of the book, <laughs> more than a cup of coffee and tea, there's a what I think is a really helpful uh, index of uh, or appendix of further resources in different categories mm-hmm. uh, on the topic. But but there are a couple that are I think are are really helpful for people. Um, the first one is uh, just came out in in 2020 called Neighbors, Christians and Muslims Building Community oh. by, De- by Deanna Ferry Womack, who's a, a good colleague um, down uh, at Emory. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's an excellent resource uh, for congregations that provides opportunities. Um, the other one that, that I have listed is um, by Miroslav Wolf called Allah, A Christian Response. Huh. Uh, it's really good because... I often hear this question, you know, is is the God of Islam the same God as Muslims? And it prompts all kinds of conversations or even arguments. And his book really does, it's from a Christian perspective, and mm-hmm. it helps people kind of think through that question. What, is, what, what does the question mean? That, right. Um, and, and how do we understand that? I, I think that's very helpful. Oh, good. Very good, and I—I uh, I guess I cannot leave this conversation without uh, your opinions about well, uh, your suggestions for what seminaries can do to help uh, future pastors, deacons, deaconesses uh, to uh, to help facilitate uh, understanding of of Islam. Yeah, that is that is a per, a great question because we. Uh, at Hartford Seminary, where I'm at now, um, I mean, we're quite unusual in that um, we're an interfaith seminary, so we have Muslim uh, faculty members and Muslim students. Right. Um, so it's built right into our curriculum that what, whatever we're studying, we're doing it together. Um, but most seminaries, most Christian seminaries that are training people for ministry in, in uh, either the Lutheran tradition or, or another tradition, it's really important to actually not only um, have, you know, a, a lecture on the topic or right. even a class on the topic, mm-hmm. but that there are authentic Muslim voices that ah. that students have the opportunity to hear from, um, and it, you know, inviting a uh, a Muslim faculty member to come in and co-teach a course um, mm-hmm. is a great is a great way. To model the dialogue, yes, um, but also, and most seminaries are doing a good job of this, and that is getting students, requiring students to get out into uh, uh, a Muslim context and visit, or or be with, um, to, you know, visit a mosque or an Islamic center, or at least uh, learn about them. Uh, you know, we're we're training uh, pastors and um, ministers. To go out into our uh, into our nation, and which is a multi faith nation, right? And the last thing we want is our pastors. Um, God forbid, if something were to happen in, in the community, that you know they're trying to figure out who do they contact 
um, after there's been a mass shooting. You know, right. wh- who is the leader of the of the Islamic Center that they need to get get a hold of in the moment? You right. know, when when we experience this the shooting at the at the synagogue in Pittsburgh right. at the Tree of Life, you know. You don't want to be trying to figure out who do you contact from that community in that moment. You want to know who they are. Right. You want to already have those relationships with those religious leaders so that you can provide assistance, you can do some pastoral care in the community. And so um, training seminarians from the very beginning um, to be aware of that, to have those kind of sensitivities about who, you know what religious communities are in their parish is is very important and i i do think seminaries have have taken a really good step in providing those opportunities for learning in, in their theological education yes i know my late colleague uh Su- Suhidal, um offered a january course and brought students yeah. down to the washington area to talk with iman and um it, it was it was a, a good experience for those students and for her as well yeah, and there there have been studies that have shown that that those pastors who did not have that opportunity in seminary are very reticent um, and slow to get their congregations to engage in in multi faith uh, relationships because they don't feel equipped enough. Right. Um, they 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 either feel embarrassed or they're they're not sure. And so quite often it's, it's their m- members of their congregation who might be married to a Muslim who yes. th- who's actually gets them involved. So, so it's really clear that having pastors or, or seminarians involved in these kinds of things during their formation period is critical. Great. Okay. Well, I can't believe our time has run out. And uh, I want to thank you for sharing uh, uh, the gems from uh, your new edited work, uh, more, than a, more Than a Cup of Coffee and Tea, A Generation of Lutheran-Muslim Relationships. Uh, I want to thank you, Dr. David Grafton, who is the dean of uh, the de- academic dean and professor of Islamic studies and the Christian-Muslim relations at Hartford Seminary. Thank you for being on the Seminary Explorers. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you. Okay. For the Seminary Explorers, this is Nelson Strobert. Have a good day. You have been listening to The Seminary Explorers, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.